He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Sweet Holy Spirit, you are the teacher, the guide, you are the anointing that breaks every yoke. I pray that that anointing will be present here in a very tangible way. And I pray, O oh God, that you will use this vessel for your mercy's sake. Cleanse everything that will be a limitation to the move of your spirit and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, I want to speak to you about the weapons of good counsel. Amen. Amen. I have come to see, and the Lord has shared with me that his word and his revelation is not like a finding in science. Do you understand it? In science, when you find a cure for malaria, you have it copyrighted or patented, and it is your name that's on it. And somebody else cannot come after you to say that he has discovered anything. So you have to discover something new. But the word of God is not like that. And I've learned to obey God and not to be driven by, I have to come with a new word. I have to come with a... I have learned to ask God, what would you have your people hear? Amen. So sometimes you, the preacher, you don't even feel like preaching what the Holy Spirit is asking you to preach. But the Holy Ghost does not call you to impress people. But he calls you because he is the physician. And he knows what is wrong with his patients. And he knows what he wants to diagnose, the way he wants to diagnose the disease and prescribe the medicine that he wants to prescribe for them. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit will move mightily this morning. And you and I will be touched. Amen. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 144, verse 1. If you are there, say amen. That's for Psalms. Everybody knows it because when you are in distress, that's where you go to. Hallelujah. Ourselves, maybe in groups and in where we are coming from and all that as we go along. Okay, Psalm 144. I'm not there myself. Verse one. If you are not there, say wait for me. <laughs> are we there? 
Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Amen. Blessed be the Lord, my rock. Now, one would think that if the Lord is your rock, he would not require you to fight or to fight for anything. Blessed be the Lord, who is my rock. But after being your rock, what does he do? He trains your hands for war and your fingers for battle. So the reason why the Lord is our rock is so that he will provide security and so that we will know the outcome of the battle. But it doesn't mean that you are not supposed to fight or that everything in life will just come easily to you. But when he becomes your rock, he also trains your hands for war. It means that if you don't undergo training, you will not be a good warrior. Amen. And that we all need training by the Lord so that he will teach our hands to war and our fingers to make battle. If you realize he didn't say he trains your mouth for war because your mouth is already... A very warlike weapon. Amen? He will just give you his word to speak, the sword of the spirit. By your mouth as a physical thing. You have that gift and calling already. If anybody touches you the wrong way, the things that will come out of your mouth, you don't need your mouth to be trained for war. He trains our hands for war. And our fingers to do battle. Now when God trains us for war. And teaches our fingers to do battle. He gives us weapons. That we can use. And most weapons in the battle, on the battlefield are wielded by hands. If it's a gun, it takes a hand. If it's a grenade or a bomb, it takes a hand. If it's even flying a warship, it takes a hand. If it's flying, it takes a hand. That's why he chose your hands to train them for war. And how many of you know that life is war? How many of you are yet to discover that life is war? Yes, I know. There are many. And when they say war, eh, fight about what? I get up, I wake up, I go. What is the fight about? But life is a battle. Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. Many of us, we are fighting wrong fights. Your fight of what? Sometimes you use silence, withdrawal, and some way face, cold war, which is greater than the one that was between America and Russia. Those are the weapons that you are training yourself. And you've been trained since childhood because that's what you saw 
when you were growing up. You saw that when your mother is angry, she does not speak to your father. She does not give him food. Neither does she bless him in the bedroom. That one you didn't even know. But you saw the visible ones. And without knowing, you were tutored under that school. So you have imbibed it and you have become a pupil of that school. Whether you are enrolled willingly or not, that's what you have seen. And that's what the Bible says in Romans 12, that be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. It means that God knows that when we come into contact with him, we need a lot of working on. Amen. So he trains our hands for war and our fingers to make battle. Second Corinthians chapter 10. If you are there, say amen. If you are not there, say wait for me. This one, many people can even quote it. Chapter 10, verse 4. <laughs> let's, me, let's read from verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, or are not carnal, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations, and every lofty thing, or every high thing, raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. But what I want to stress on is, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Now, what are the things in the flesh that provoke us to war? Betrayal, pain, offense, feeling of injustice, feeling that things are not right. So though we walk in the flesh, you can't help it. You walk in it, your everyday living, your activities, your movement, your everything. That's why the Bible uses walk. It's in the flesh. But when it comes to the war, step out of this flesh and begin to operate in the realm of the spirit. So the Bible is not saying that become so spiritual that even when we give you tea, say, I don't drink earthly tea. I I mean, you become so ethereal. Some people are like that. They are not practical in anything. Amen. Everything they over-spiritualize what they are doing. When they don't cook at home for their husbands, and the husband says, I'm hungry. He said that today we are fasting. You have decided, but he has not said that he wants to fast. For though we walk in the flesh, we cannot help but live in the flesh. God gave us our flesh so that we could feel. God gave us our flesh so that we could have emotions. So that our senses would be alive. This is why I say you're welcome. And all that. God gave us all that. But 
He's saying that in spite of the fact that I've given you these things, don't make your soul habitation in the area of the flesh. And that is a fight. Because the flesh is what you see. It's what you feel. And it's what you can relate to. Amen. That is why even when we have not had our quiet time or spent time in the Lord, we spend time polishing our faces. And doing our hair. And the amount of hours we will take. Sometimes we will not finish. They'll say, come tomorrow. But when it's a meeting, they say, come tomorrow. They have to move you with a crane. Because you have become so used to the flesh that you cannot move into the things of the spirit. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war. It means you war all right, but not in the flesh. And then it explains, why don't we war in the, in the, in the, why we do not walk in the flesh, but we war in the spirit. Why don't we war in the flesh? Because our weapons are not carnal. It's carnal people who use carnal weapons. But if you are to make war in the spiritual realm, you have to use the commensurate weapons to be able to fight. Amen. It's like maybe you go to a very sophisticated battle. They are bringing scat missiles and things that you two, you are using cutlass to hit here, hit here, hit here. You see, you have entered a different level of the battle. You are used to kappa. But things have been uh, uh, invented that have many rounds. You just put the bullets and go, machine gun. Then you, you are coming with your knife, bow and arrow. By the time you even strategize to put that arrow, you would have lost the battle. And many of us are losing our battles because we are fighting on the wrong battleground. But God is about to show us the battleground that we should do battle on. Hallelujah. And I pray that you will make up your mind this morning that you will not war after the flesh, but after the spirit. And it says that these weapons, they are mighty. You see, spiritual weapons don't look powerful, oftentimes. When you look at the Bible, many of the things that God said, the people should as weapons, were not powerful. We are going to a sophisticated army. We are not so strong. And we can wait on you and say that the singers should lead. And that we won't need to fight in this battle. You see, that's also another weapon. The weapon of stillness. How can I see an army advancing and I won't do anything? And as some of you say, I told her a thing or two. So an approaching army and he says, don't fight. Herod and the people behind you. He says, stand still. Hey, it's not easy to stand still. Oh. I've seen chariots. I have been led out of Israel, uh, of Egypt, without even one weapon. And then when the chariots and things of Pharaoh are coming, you say that I should stand still and do what? And see the salvation of the Lord. It's not easy to stand still. But that's another weapon. But this morning, I want to speak to you about the weapon of good counsel. The Bible says, by good counsel, make war. Amen. But many of us, we don't respect counsel. Amen. And so we do what we would. Yeah. 
It's like, you see, God has said this. God, he doesn't know a lot of things, so I have to teach him one or two. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. And I want to say to all ladies who are here, today that you are here, decide to bring your mind and all your focus here. Forget about the children. Have they eaten? Have they been picked up? Have they... Do you understand? Allow somebody to do it for a change. So that you'll be ministered to holistically. Amen. Proverbs 11 verse 14. Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors or counsel, there is safety. When you look at Proverbs 20 verse 18, and I want you to turn to that. What does it say? By good counsel, make war. King James says, every purpose is established by counsel. And with good advice. Do what? With good advice, just have a conversation. With good advice, just hear. With good advice, make war. So that is a very potent weapon. That we can use as believers. And there are different levels of counsel that we will come to. The Bible says, where there's no counsel, purposes are frustrated. Amen. But in a multitude of counsel, so you have no counsel, multitude of counsel. And Psalm 1 says what? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So you have ungodly counsel. And then you have godly counsel. So there are different types of counsel. And when I use counsel, I use it to say advice, guidance, somebody giving you another opinion, which is based on godly principles. Preaching is a form of counsel. It comes from the pulpit, but it's counsel that comes to you. The Bible says, today if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. So something like that should change you. When you hear that, today if you hear his voice, it may not just be salvation, but his voice on anything. Harden not your heart. Then you say that Apostle Paul, he didn't marry, so he doesn't know. Or this pastor, he doesn't know the kind of uh, man I'm married to. Or he doesn't know the type of ministry I'm believing God for. So that's why he's saying what he's saying. Because of the hardness of heart, God cannot reach you. Amen. But Proverbs 20:80 says, where there's no counsel, purposes are destroyed. No counsel. You don't hear from God. You don't receive any direction. You are not advisable and you are not advised. When that happens... There may be a purpose for you, but it will be frustrated. It will not come to pass. But in a multitude of counsel, don't get tired of hearing what God has to tell you. And most of the time, we choose to listen to people who will side with us. And so when we go for counseling or we hear the word in any form of counsel, we don't align ourselves because it doesn't sit well with us and it doesn't 
It doesn't say things the way we would like it to be said. So because of that, we reject everything. And we cannot receive from God. And we come to the place where there's no counsel. Why is there so much divorce? So much breakup? So much infidelity? Because many Christians cannot be counseled. You tell them, don't do this, they will do it. Say, Mom, you, you don't know. That is why I'm not Jesus Christ, because I don't know. And that is why you have a high priest who is touched with the feeling of all your infirmities. Because I cannot be a faithful high priest. Amen. Because there are certain things, granted, a man may not understand. A woman may not understand. But your high priest understands. And he says, go about this thing in this way. And you are still arguing with him. We are unbendable. We are unyielding. And there's no fear of God. If there was fear of God, you would say like Peter, we have told all night and we have caught nothing. We are experienced fishermen. We are experienced whatever job you do. We are experienced wives. We are experienced ministers. And we have told all night, we caught nothing. And you, Jesus, can you show me your CV? Have you ever fished before? Do you know the hazards of the sea? After we have come and we are washing our nets, a novice like you, not even a novice, inex, totally inexperienced, you have no idea about what is happening. And then you come and say, let's go and let down your net for a catch into the deep. Do you think that I'm not responsible enough to want to feed my family? Do you think that I don't know what my vocation is about? After I have told all night, whilst you... And other people were sleeping. I was toiling. I told all night. And now you've come to tell me that I should let down the net into the deep for a catch. But Peter said, we have told all night. You see, it's not that as a Christian you must not face the reality. You must face the reality that you have told all night. You have, must face the reality that you are tired. You must face the reality that you are overwhelmed. You, have, you must face the reality that it's too much. But... Come to the place of nevertheless at your word. Nevertheless at your word. Not at my feelings. Not at my experience. Not at what I see. Not at what I'm going through. Your experience is not greater than God's word. Amen. So nevertheless at your word. It's only your word that would make me change my mind. It's only your word that will let me look at another opinion. It's only your word that will make me a fool in this house of God. Only your word. It's only your word that will let me talk to this man again. It's only your word that will let me talk submissively to this man. Because when I look at how he has treated me, only the word of God can be a referee in such a situation. Nevertheless, nevertheless, nevertheless at thy word. What Jesus was telling Peter was also a form of counsel. That look, come with me. I'll show you where to put the net. And then you'll put it. And Peter said, Lord, behold, we have told all night. And not that when we told, we got even a few and caught nothing. I have done all that I can do and I'm not seeing anything. I have put in all my energy and my zeal and all my resources and I can see nothing. 
Nevertheless, there's a higher power than what I've seen and what I've experienced. And so at thy word. When you, when you reach a nevertheless, then you have a referee in your life. And that referee is the Holy Ghost and the word of God. And when that referee blows the whistle, you listen. Not because it's not painful. Not because you are not broken. Not because you are a superwoman. But because he knows best. Amen. Amen. Otherwise, many of us will never move from where we are. But nevertheless, at thy word. So there are times when there's no counsel at all in your life. And there are times when there's a multitude of counsel. It means that you are hearing from here, hearing from here, hearing from here. But at the end, you have to take the decision. You see, when you meet people like, in my life, when I met my husband, my friends had different opinions. Some of them said the way he walked, I don't think it will work. One of them said, oh, I went to school with him. She, I didn't even ask her opinion. There are some counselors. You don't go and ask them. You see, I'm not talking about active counselors. There are many things that inform you. There are many things that influence us to reach a decision. So this one, I've not even asked her what she thinks. But then we have a mutual friend. So she speaks through that mutual friend. I went to school with him and I'm even surprised that Adelaide will be considering him. That's what she said. I've told this story before then. Later when I became my husband's beloved, then he was telling me, you know, uh, uh, when we were in fellowship in school, uh, there was a sister who proposed to me. And then they said, who is that? That one who said. That one who said. I wonder why Adelaide would even. So she was solving her own problems. And she's using that to counsel you. And the reason why she's going that way is that what she desired, she didn't get. So now that it's coming your way, she's telling you that it's not a good thing. And then, of course, I had counsel also from my mother who said, all girls are boxes. This man will beat you. I said, you don't even know him. How do you know that he will beat me? He said that, do you think it's for nothing that Ghana's boxes are girls? Look at DK Poison. Oblite Kome. Aikote. Azuma Nelson. All of them are girls. Do you think it's for nothing? They are used to fighting. And I said to her, oh, you must get to know the person. I think that you must listen. She, she wouldn't see. That was also another counsel. Then my roommate, Lady Pastor Adelaide, she said, oh, I think it's a good thing. I think it will work. I think you should go for it. You see, my husband was not like you see him now. You understand? He himself says he was very, very lanky. And also I felt that he was a bit overboard. When you say hello to him, he was speaking tongues. People used to say that he thinks that he's the only one going to heaven. You know, and they said you will fast and you will become like paper when the wind is blowing. And the people say, eh, there's too much fasting. What is it? But now when I look back, he was birthing Lighthouse Chapel. International. But there was a multitude of counsel. Different opinions. When I told my big sister, my big sister said, oh, go for it. He's a good man. 
My sister, she was an unbeliever, but she really encouraged me. He's a good man. I'm sure that it will work out well. You know, you are both in the university. Just be faithful to each other. I'm sure God will bless you. So, even when my parents did not know, my beloved will come and visit me. My sister will host him fully in her house in Takrade. <laughs> and every day she will call me. He's finished breakfast. So, come. So, I will go and beloved those fully. And then when I come, my father doesn't know where I've been. But she was part of the multitude of counselors. But I myself had to go into my closet. And I have to ask God. You see, when my husband says this story, he says that he told his wife, wait here and let me go and pray and see what God will be doing. So as for me, I was just there waiting for them to pray and come and tell me. Anyway, I leave it to God. But I also had the opportunity to seek God for a long time. And on the day that I thought I had made up my mind, it was a morning. I had a powerful time in God's presence. Immediately my door opened and my mother came in. If you marry this guy, I'll be so disappointed in you. (laughs) When I felt I had the answer, now I know. That is what she said. So then I went back to my class and said, Lord, what should I do? And God said, pray for favor. Pray for a softening of heart. You see, when the, the Bible writes stories, and it came to pass, it's the next sentence. So you don't know that between chapter 3 and chapter 4, there was four years. Or that between verse 3 and verse 4, there was five years. You don't know that. So that's how I'm say, oh, pray for favor. So I prayed for favor. And then my mother's opinion changed. You think, oh, maybe in two days, two weeks. It took about three years my mother's opinion to change. But whenever my husband, my beloved visited me, she would be nice to him and everything. But she's just looking out for her daughter's interest. Do you understand? But other fancy boys will come. Then she'll be making milkshake and things for them. Strawberry or vanilla. But when Bishop comes, not even water, she'll just say hi. 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 And now she says that my, oh, but your husband, he should stop preaching about these things. Why can't? <laughs> eh? He will let even now the children be asking me. I said, oh, the children don't understand. Then one day we went to talk ready for a program. Bishop preached and said this again. And my mother said, hey, when will this story end? <laughs> then my little son Joshua, then he was smaller. Came to her and said, please see. So you didn't want mommy to marry daddy, eh? <laughs> Sometimes, counsel establishes your destiny. And counsel gives you a future that you would otherwise have blown. But for the counsel that came your way. Hallelujah. And when I look back, I wanted, I, I said I wanted to be a missionary when I met my husband. And he said he would also marry in 20 years' time. So I thought this is a very nice combination. I'm going to be a missionary. I'm not going to marry. And he will marry in 20 years' time. So it's a very safe friend to have. Do you understand? And as we went along, fellowshipping, doing follow-up, I'll see the follow-up. They've shared the follow-up uh, itinerary. And they said, follow-up, Okay. Sister, this and this, you are going here. Sister, that and that. He was the leader. But when they finish, every time I don't have a partner. 
So I say, ah, please, brother Doug, I didn't get a part. You wait, I'll go with you. <laughs> you are my partner, I'll go with you. Wait, wait. I'm pairing the others up, you wait. But I didn't know, like, how do you, what is the call of God? How do you respond to the call of God? How do you know if God has called you? I didn't know that. I just knew that I wanted to be a missionary. And then also, how do you express that call? I didn't know. Do you understand? But I think that by God bringing him into my life, from one place to another, it was just started with follow-up, uh, uh, witnessing, follow up and then leading small groups and then having small women's meetings, having small Bible studies, helping out in the church and all that. And as I went along, then I'm now seeing what God is doing. And I don't even fully understand everything. But for the counsel that I received, I would not be standing here today. But for the counsel that I received, I may not even have found how to activate that call that I said God had called me. I wouldn't have known her because in our time, there was no fatherly figure to say, you are called. Come, I'll show you the call of God. I'll give you a place to express yourself. There was no, nothing like that. And we didn't even know, we didn't even use the terminology that God has called me. No, we just said, oh, we want to work, to do God's work. And we didn't even know how a church operated because you wouldn't have even the opportunity to be trained in a church. But now you have sap, pop, pip, pop. <laughs> and you don't even know how blessed you are. And they are calling saying, another pop meeting. We didn't even know what God's call was. And even how to conduct a service, you don't know. How do you, because it's fellowships. There were a lot of fellowships around, but not churches. So you don't even know. Now you have a book, How to Start a Church. Whenever I see it, I smile. Hey, people are blessed. How to start a church. We didn't know how to start a church. So witnessing, follow up. Witnessing, follow up. That was what the church was about. And then later, we, the Lord said, I will increase you with men like flocks. So we'll just pray. Increase us with men like flocks. Increase us with men. What I'm saying is that one counsel, one direction can change your destiny can bring forth God's calling, God's gifting, without your knowing. There's a certain power in being submissive enough to listen to other people. And then when you have heard everything, to hear finally from God, is also a powerful tool. But if your mind is made up, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to marry this man at all costs. Or I don't want to marry him at all costs. So anybody who speaks to you, you don't hear. It's only your voice that you hear. And you are used to hearing only your voice. Everything must be your way. So even when you come for marriage counseling, and they say, forgive your husband, they didn't address my pain. They didn't address my pain. They were just talking about forgive your husband and what the Bible says and all that, but they didn't address my pain. The fact that they didn't address your pain does not mean that you should not receive what you were told. What you were told may, be, may not be the full picture, but it is something to hold on to and to run with. So where there's no counsel, purposes, destinies, futures, are frustrated. 
because there's no guidance, there's no light. And sometimes you, you, not that you don't want to follow the light, but you don't even have the light. The enlightenment, before you would even say, I want to follow now. I was telling Bishop yesterday that I was so surprised. Whenever I read books, you know, they'll say that Catherine Coleman, he ministered, she ministered in 1960-something in Jerusalem, and she ministered here. And in 1973, when she prayed for the person who was healed, and the people were slain under the person. But me, when I was alive, I felt that I knew everything. So I'm so surprised that in 1960-something, people were moving in the gifts of the Spirit. In 1960-something, people knew about falling under the power and all. Where was I? Do you understand? And even when I came into high school, I didn't know all these things. It was Legon that I first heard my first Christian music. I never knew that there was anything like Christian music recorded with beat inside that you can dance. Never. It was Bishop Daggy who gave me my first Christian music cassette. I've not heard them before. And then he gave me another cassette by Dr. Fred Price that when a man of God preaches, they put it on a tape. I've been a Christian for years. Never. So exposure, you don't even have exposure. So exposure, even in the secular world, when you don't have it, affects you. And exposure in the things of the spirit. But I felt that I was born again. I knew what I was doing. I went for town fellowship all the time. But I did. when he gave me that thing that somebody has preached on a cassette, I can put it in my system and play back and forth. Hey, it revolutionized our room. We'll just be playing it and we could preach like the person. We could pre- and before the tape starts, Lady Pastor Adele and I will be saying, Welcome to ever increasing faith. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Oh, I mean, we were so excited. And at the point when he comes for his cassette, they are all torn. So that you see, I mean, people have been borrowing the thing. Because knowledge was scarce. Do you understand? But when you meet new things, when you meet something that's different from what you are used to. Can you open your heart to receive? Where there's no counsel, purposes are frustrated. Amen. Amen. You come to a place of multitude of counsel. That's when so many people speak to you. And then you have to decide which one you will take. And you have to decide how you are going to decipher which one. Because when counsel is ungodly, it's not always bad. It can just be carnal, or it can just be fleshly, but it's not bad. Do you understand? It may not have any evil or malice in it, but it's just ungodly counsel. Ungodly counsel can be counsel that makes you feel very comfortable in your flesh. And meanwhile, Christ has said that, take up your cross and follow me. And then you are being counseled that, you know, use the cross to make a wooden hat and live in it. Don't sacrifice anything. Just move on. And at the time, it sounds nice because that is what your flesh wants to do. And that is easier than going to go to a place. You see, I have a very soft spot for missionary wives. And I keep saying that I myself feel that I've been on many missionary fields. And I'm on my latest one. Amen. I was on the missionary field of pastoral care. This is the way my husband was a pastor. Now, he's not a pastor. He's not in the church anymore. Do you know how I used to feel lost whenever I came to the church on Sundays? You will never know. Some people say that. 
Says her mommy, you never look under pressure. What should I do? I don't know how to. Uh-huh. I don't know how to orchestrate it, but I think that maybe it's a God-given. I don't. It's not um, something worked on that you don't have to show pressure. There's no such thing. But I feel that I'm under pressure. But you are telling me that you can't see that I'm under pressure. Do you understand? So for me, it was a different mission field. I felt so lost. Suddenly, to me, everything was different. Even if I don't spend time with my husband all the time in the church on Sundays. If I on Sundays, and on any meeting day, I just put him on the offering bowl and I send it forth. <laughs> Do you understand? And I just go about my duties. I send forth the offering bowl. Do you understand? So even though I may not... Um, be around him, to be talking to him and all that. The fact that he was around had a different feeling. And coming back when he's not around at all. Hey, what type of strange life is this? <laughs> then apart from that, he now has to travel. So your prayer topic also changes. Because there's always imminent danger somehow. And then he too, he insists on driving himself. And when he gets there, the same person will preach. So this Salah guy, he's driving himself. When he's coming, he drives himself back. Do you see? So you are thinking about all that. Then you begin to think, what will he eat? Because you have always provided food for him every day in the house. If he travels just to speak here, have camp here, but now 10 days, 7 days in the back of the desert, how will the person function there? So you have to adjust so many things. And so many roles change. And then also, I was used to going everywhere with him when the church was younger. But as the children reached a certain age, I can't do that anymore. And we can't both say that we are all going on healing Jesus with us. So that who looks after the children? So even though I go and have daughter conventions and all that, I always look at his schedule because I, before I look at mine. So even this weekend's meeting, if I had known his schedule, it would not have come on. Because when I looked at his schedule, he was supposed to come back from Salaga, go and preach in a church in Nigeria, and go to Paris from Nigeria. So this weekend, he's not supposed to be here. That's why I arranged my things that way. That As he's not here, the butterfly can fly more. Do you understand? But then he called me from Salaga, that's too much, whatever. So he has canceled the Nigerian, it's not a lighthouse church, it's a Nigerian program. So that he can just leave sometime this weekend, preach in Paris, and then continue with whatever he has to do. So suddenly, my, my schedule has changed. So this morning, I have to make breakfast. I have to make this. And I can't say properly that I'm leaving now. So I say, oh, I have to leave. Oh, let me call Shelly and see whatever. Oh, you, you can go, crap. But I can see that, you know. So you ladies, you have to be wise. It's not that they say go, then you are just going. Sometimes you can see that it's not working. Sometimes I'm on the phone. Something important, something to do with ministry, I'm speaking. Then I hear him come in, and I can see that he doesn't like it when he's entering. And then you're on the phone. Yeah, so what did you see? Whatever. We just, hi. You can see that person is not. So when I, I tell my people, my Lord cometh, then I... My Lord cometh later. Oh, hi. So how was today? Meanwhile, my mind is saturated with what I was talking about, how I'll move on. What? So 
not long ago, I called Lady Pastor Gloria. I said, this Euro daughter, uh, 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 the, the review of it, this, that, that, that. Then she said, Mommy, my Lord cometh. You taught me so later. <laughs> but I have lived on different, different missions. Having to adjust to so many things at the same time is not easy. And, you know, one thing Bishop Prophet tells me is that don't bother to explain to people because they won't even understand. And he doesn't talk about only this, the ministry, anything. Don't bother to explain to people certain things because they won't even understand. It's only when you wear those shoes that you will understand. Amen. But I was saying that to say that my heart goes out to missionary wives because they receive also different counsel. Every parent cares for their children. And every parent will say, you are going where? Burkina Faso. You are going where? Burundi. You are going where? DRC. Is the war over? You are going where? And even we Christians ourselves, we feel uneasy when we hear that somebody has been posted somewhere. And it is natural, but not spiritual, to want to counsel the person and to say, Burundi, are you sure you should go? Can't you see your qualifications? Don't you think you should? Even I have that struggle. But what God tells me is that you laid down everything you have. Why is it that when somebody has to do it, you don't want the person to go through that challenge? Do you think that I'm not able to look after the person? Oh, I said, oh, Lord, it's not that bad. Maybe now we know a bit more. Because when we were first saying yes to the call of God, We didn't know, I think, what it meant. We were blessed with the gift of simple-mindedness. But as the people behind, like our parents, who could see? So how will you live? You say this church doesn't pay you. How will you cope? What's your future? But what we thought was that, why are they so overly concerned? Do you understand? We're okay. Why are they overly concerned? But now when I look back, sometimes when Bishop P. said that we had to gather money after church to go and buy a tin of corned beef, but even when we gather the money we are going to buy, I didn't think then that we lacked anything. It didn't occur to me. It was God's blessing. You see, and one missionary wife went on the mission field. When she was going, she came to tell me. She said, Mommy, I'm going. Whatever. I said, ah. I said, there are no jobs there. Maybe you have to find something for your hands to do so that you get a bit more occupied. And also, when a church is starting... You don't have any friend, though. Your pastor is your husband. If there's any issue and you go and see him, the pastor is likely to be biased. And his bias will be towards himself. You don't have any friend who even sometimes speaks your language. Or a friend that you can say, oh, let's meet here and eat some food. Let's meet here and have a drink. Let's meet here. There's no such person. You have just arrived. You are green. Your husband is also green. And you are on this territory. She said, oh, uh, he said that things to do with hair and things, they really move. So I'll be okay and all that. So she went with her little son that she had had. And the, when she got there, her husband had been there ministering. The church was doing well. He was very happy. When she got there, she said, I can't. Hey, is this the life? I cannot. 
in red capital, whatever. So the husband will call me and say, Mommy, I'm so surprised. You know, it's my wife who led me to Christ. It's my wife who encouraged me in things of the ministry. But then now, things are not easy. Even the sheep are easier to control than my wife. And the woman wouldn't give in. I think that her concerns were valid. But if you don't walk by faith, you will never see the glory of God. If you walk by what you see, you will never obey God. If you walk by what you see, you will never yield. Because what you see is frightening. Why do you think the disciples reacted to the storm? It was frightening. But Jesus said, where is your faith? So it's faith that rides you through the storm. Hallelujah. So she said, I can't. Then she was there with another missionary's wife. And this missionary's wife went earlier. And she had come to say, oh, I've got so many messages. I'm going to just soak them in. So she would send me mail. I listened to the road of ministry. Hey, it's very peculiar to what I'm going through. But the Lord is strengthening me. And she'll call me before this one went. Oh, today so many people came to church. Hi, mommy. We are, we are, we are winning. And she also was not working. What was the difference? The difference was that I think that constant counsel was coming into the heart of somebody. And the other one, there was no such counsel. But I didn't know that there was no such counsel. But then this, the first one's husband called me. Now since the second wife arrived, my wife has changed. I said, why? Well, I said, because she's constantly talking to her. Into Ubet Nahasa. Into house you have come to sit here and then you are so idle. Is that how you are going to go on? Look, open your eyes, eh? Don't behave as if you don't see what is happening. This and that and that. Not, she wouldn't speak evil about the church or its authorities. But she's saying that, are you living in denial? Why are you behaving as if all is well? Which is carnal counsel, but it's counsel, but it's carnal. And it's true. What she was saying is true. You have come to sit here as if you don't have any future. As if you don't. How long will you continue like this? So she started to change. The first one. Look. The words you are under. The opinions you are under. The things you hear. They influence you. And they make you what you become. So her husband called me that she's changing. She was not like this. Because this one had started to, the first one had started to make meat pies, donuts, so she'll call me. Hey, we are coming rich here. Today they bought the donuts at church. And then they bought the meat pie. They don't know how to eat it, but, you know, they are forcing. And they are this. Mommy, in this country, they don't wear shoes, oh. They come like that to church. But, you know, God is moving. That we had daughter in one, a nearby city. She carried all the shoeless and dressless people and brought them. We were so touched. And we even gathered dresses. We had them go and do their hair because they were looking like some, from another planet. <laughs> we put them together. And by the time they were going, they were so happy. This first missionary's wife did that. And the people were saying, thank her for us. But when the second one arrived, all the work that had been done was eroded. I wouldn't say that I don't think she was aware of what she was doing. She was just following her feelings, what she sees, what she thinks. 
So then Bishop said, if that is the case, I don't want people to be on mission fields that they don't want to be on. So come to Ghana, and I will give you a church to pastor here. If you feel you can't take it, just come. You know. And the husband said, no. I believe that this is where God has called me. I have started this church. This is where I want to be. And I saw him once in another city. I said, look, if your wife can't take it, just come. And I said, no, mommy, if I just come, then it's based on my convenience and my wishes. But not where I've been. So I said, but Bishop said that you can't come. I said, no, I believe God. And then she said, mommy, try and call my wife. I said, I'll call your wife, but I don't have that link or rapport with her. So even when I speak, it is likely to bounce off. So, well, I called her once, but no progress. Then her family people will be calling her. Her aunt says this. Her mother says this. Her this says this. So I told the husband, if you don't take a decision, either your wife will have a nervous breakdown and go off, or something you don't imagine will happen. This was like, it started like two years ago. Last week, I got a call. Missed call. Missed, I said, hey, which country is this that they are calling me? And I took the phone. It was the second wife. I mean, the second lady who went. Even her voice had changed. Mommy, come and see what God is doing here. I don't know what influence I was under. I don't know what I was thinking about. I was so depressed. Nobody could reach me. Even when my other pastor's wife gave me daughter tapes, called by side tapes to listen to, uh, CDs to listen to, she will play it, but my heart will not receive I don't even hear it. It is after she has left, because they were posted to another place. After she has left, that I'm now listening to Restored Woman. My God, what a word. And I said, hey, Why? Have you found a job? Mommy, nothing like that. I said, is it the donut that the other one has left for you? That is it. Mommy, nothing like that. Even that, I'm not doing it more. I'm not doing it much. I said, it's my mother. She kept speaking to me. This is God's work. It's going to be all right. Hold on. You are going to come through. It's good. So that every time I'll call and complain to my mother in Kumasi. Every time I'll call call and weep to my mother. And my mother would tell me, the mantle your husband has taken is a higher calling. Stick with it. God will show you his faithfulness. She said, now, when I get down on my knees, the intercession, three hours is nothing. And I said, okay, so now you are healed and all that, but do you still want to come to Ghana? Mommy, don't even, don't even mention it. I said, so, what has brought about the transformation so that I share with that? Said, it's what I'm saying. I said, it's my mother. I said, your mother I said she was calling me every day. And every day I would be full of complaints. But she would tell me, you can never outgive God. God will be faithful to you. Hang in there. Don't say you are coming. Because she said at a point that she's coming and leaving her husband on the mission field. And then she will commute. Don't say you are doing that. Hold on. God is faithful. God will see you through. That today, she's the healthiest. Another missionary wife called and said, Hey, now our chief Barnabas and exhorter is this lady. When she hears that you have been posted here, then she calls you. I want to tell you what God can do in your life. 
I want to tell you how powerful God is. So I said, okay, so your mother and all that, but when did you come to the relationship? She said that it was very sudden. I was just there and I said, look, what my mother is saying is true. Let me now begin to have my morning devotion. Let me now begin to go into his closet more. And then when I did, but my husband says that he used to fast and pray in the woods and say, God, touch my wife, change her, speak to her. So as for him, he takes the credit that it is prayer that has transformed me. The lady who called me from far away, she has been posted to some outlandish place with her husband. I mean, she's okay. She's just wondering the children's education, whatever. So she's working on it. But this lady has already called her and told her, you can't outgive God. Just go. Even when it doesn't look glossy, just go. God will take care of you. What is it that has changed her destiny, her life, her impact on other people? What is it that has changed her? Counsel. Counsel. The things you listen to, the people that influence you, and the people that affect our lives, we must be very careful about them. And sometimes it's not even formal counsel that they sit down with you and say, Helena, I'm sharing five things with you. It's a comment. It's a phone call. It's a question. So will you go? So how will you cope? I don't mind if you ask. How will you cope? And then after that, like Peter, we've told all night. But you know, God can, whatever, whatever. Even the last time this person shared with me, that's different. But how will you cope? Eh? What schools will your children go to? How will it be? It is the, the, the need for children to go to school. You know, so many of our missionaries were posted to the north. Like Lady Pastor Angie here. Dr. Modupe, her husband was posted. Angie's husband was also posted. And when they arrived there, no schools. So they call, Mommy, there's no good school in Wa. There's no good school in Navongo. What schools will our children go to? I said, well, Lighthouse has created a school in Accra. Why can it not do so in the north? We can also have a school in the north. A school, wow. We've never had one before. What are we going to do? Well, nowadays, I think that God makes me walk on roads for other people. Because I think that, for instance, the school, God made me go through a school. There's nobody in it. So I bring my daughter as a compulsory student or pupil in the school. You know, then I go and see my other friend who has a boy. I said, try and bring your child. I said, hey, but this is your school. What credentials does it have? I said, I'm giving you an incentive. No fees, eh? Just bring your child. So that when people come, they know that one boy, one girl are in the school. Because my daughter was alone for a long time. And then now I have to design uniforms. What uniform would they wear? So I said, okay, let me choose this style. And then yeah, yellow and black. But let's choose some check so that we'll do this. Oh, that's the uniform and that's the boy's uniform. Okay. If somebody comes to us that they want to come to the school, what prospectors do you have? So then we do prospectors. These are the, then now we have to do curriculum. Okay, what are the syllabus? What do you do? This, that, that, all that. I was still working as a lawyer then. So I'll pass through and do that work. Pass through. But when it came to their turn to ask me what to do, because I had walked on that road, 
it was not difficult. So I said to them, get these forms. You don't even have to type them. Just come to the school. Ask Lady Pastor Caroline. Get everything and just copy. And then for training, send some people down. People are looking for jobs there. Send them down. Let them work in our school. And let them go up there and then start something. I tell you, Dr. Modipe's school, doctors and DCEs and things are bringing their children there. I tell you. And she's used her boys' quarters. She has used some extra rooms. She's put up some structures. Hey. And she'll call me, Mommy, this year we are changing our fees because the demands, whatever. This year we are sending. I said, Oh, yeah. Now we have even a Montessori resource person who is Lady Pastor Angie. So send your people there. And she did. So now she will add to her things Montessori education. How many of you in Accra even have Montessori education? And she told me the last time she was here that when her children go out and they speak, you know, at our school, too, we teach table manners. And this, uh, a little boy went with his father to a restaurant, not in Navrongo, in another town. And then the boy said, no, I need to wash my hands and I need to put my napkin this way. I said, hey, what school do you go to? Lighthouse International School. And Dr. Modipe tells me, mommy, that led to more people coming into the school. Today in the north, we have Mboku, Navrongo, Wa Tamale, this place, this, some of them 80, 65, 60, and they are climbing. Winneba, they just started three weeks. They have 14 people. Right? It will start with your need. And when you sit, you say, I don't have a school for my children. I don't have. And I don't take any money from them. I don't say because we are the parents. Bring this. I said, no. If you yourself, you are wise. You will know that you need money to expand your school. Do you see? So you can't use everything as salary. And then if you yourself, I said to you, you know that you need that stream to be able, because they keep bringing their children, like when they move to class one, they bring their teachers to come and do class one and all that, you know. So we had a Lighthouse Education Board meeting. How did that all come about? Somebody who decided that it's hard on the mission field but anything I'm told to do, I will try. And through that, many more lives are affected. Most of the things that we do are because of what we have been told or what we have heard. And because we have taken it and worked with it, it has caused us to triumph. And therefore, you don't even see that it was a battlefield, but it was. The only thing that made the difference was that your heart was open to good counsel. Hallelujah. I mean, when I went to Reverend Jesus Children's Funeral, now it was late, around 1 a.m. And she's now going to park in her house, that's Dr. Modipe, to take us around. This is the classroom for two-year-olds to this. This is two-year-olds today. This is, oh, I was so tired. But I was also gladdened to see what the Lord is doing. Amen. But many of us, we are in our comfort zones. Nothing can move us to obey God. Nothing can move us to be supportive. But wherever God takes you to, he will give you the grace to stand there.
The reason why I was making this point was that sometimes the counsel is not evil in itself. It's natural. It's reasonable. It makes sense. But it is ungodly counsel. And someone says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Counsel is something to be walked in. It's not something to just be listened to. It is something that you walk in. The Bible says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk after. It means activities. Walking denotes activity. And so when it says that, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, it means that counsel propels you in a certain direction, on a certain path, and in a certain way. And that is why he uses the word walks. Counsel is something you walk in. Counsel is something that leads you. Counsel is something that determines the type of journey that you will take for your life. It is counsel. And when you do that, your life will change. He said, forgive this man. He has been so bad, but forgive him. God is trying to give you a reformed spouse. But he said, no, 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 I can't start from there. Some of you, when they say sorry, say for what? List five reasons why you are sorry. And you, as you have said sorry, you even do it again. Counsel. Many of us, we hear counsel, but we don't yield to counsel. If going to church or church attendance was commensurate with change in our lives, then we should all be saints by now. But because we don't change with the words, we come to church all the time, but we are not transformed. We come to church all the time, but we don't yield in certain areas of our lives. We come to church all the time, but we have not got it to that place where, like Peter, we say, I don't feel like doing it. But because your word is counseling me to do it at your word, nevertheless. Turn to your neighbor and ask, do you have a nevertheless in your life? <laughs> Amen. Remember the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's a fight. But against principalities and powers and the rulers of the dark. Second Samuel chapter 15. If you are there, say amen. <laughs> we'll also be talking about types of relationships. So. Part three. I preached the prelude here. Part one in England. Part two at Euro Daughter. And part three. Samuel 15. Thirty-one to thirty-four. Let's read from verse thirty so that it makes sense. And David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went. And his head was covered and he walked barefoot. Then all the people who were with him each covered his head and went up weeping as they went. Now someone told David, saying, Ahitophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. 
And David said, Oh Lord, I pray thee, make the what? The counsel of Ahithophel foolishness. It happened, we are reading on to verse 37. It happened as David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped. That behold, Husha the Archite met him with his coat torn and dust on his head. And David said to him, if you pass over with me, then you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I'll be your servant, O king, as I've been your father's servant in time past. So I'll now be your servant. Then you can thwart the what? The counsel of Ahithophel for me. And are not Zadok and Abathar the priest with you there? So it shall be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall report. Verse 37. So Husha, David's friend, came into the city. And Absalom came into Jerusalem. Hmm. Hallelujah. Now, Second Samuel chapter 17. Okay, let's read the advice of Ahithophel before we come there. Verse 20. Let's go back to 2 Samuel 16, verse 20. So that the progression of the story is smooth. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give what? Yeah, give counsel. New American Standard says, Give your advice. What shall we do? And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines whom he has left to keep the house. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself odious to your father. The hands of all who are with you will also be strengthened. Verse 23. Verse 22. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. And the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one inquired of the word of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel regarded by both David and Absalom. Furthermore, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Please let me choose 12,000 men, that I may rise and pursue, your, pursue David tonight. And I'll come upon him while he's weary and exhausted. That's when the devil comes upon you. And will terrify him, so that all the people who are with him will flee. Then I'll strike down the king alone, and I'll bring back all the people to you. The return of everyone depends on the man you seek. Then all the people shall be at peace. So the plan pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Then Absalom said, Now call Husha the Archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. When Husha had come to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Ahithophel has spoken thus, shall we carry out his plan? If not, you speak. So Husha said to Absalom, this time, the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good. Moreover, Husha said, you know your father and his men that they are mighty men and they are fierce, like a bear robbed of her cups in the field. And your father is an expert in warfare and will not spend the night with the people. Verse 11, but I counsel that all Israel be surely gathered to you from Dan even to Beersheba as the sun that is by the sea in abundance, and that you personally go into battle. 
So we shall come to him in one of the places where he can be found. And we will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and of all the men who are with him, not even one will be left. Verse 14. Then Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahitophel. Why? For the Lord had ordained to thwart the good counsel of Ahitophel in order that the Lord might bring calamity on Absalom. Verse 23 of the same chapter. Now when Ahitophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and arose and went to his home, to his city, and set his house in order and strangled himself. Thus he died and was buried in the grave of his father, David. Amen. Now when David was leaving town, Absalom, his son, had rebelled and he was being literally driven out of town. When somebody told him that Ahitophel is among the people advising Absalom, David was a man of war. He had fought with Goliath. He had fought with the Philistines. He had killed so many people, even his bride price was the four skins of Philistines. Nobody could fight like David. And even Husha said that we know your father, that he's a mighty warrior. Why didn't he just turn around and go and fight Absalom? He recognized that there was a certain weapon that was greater than the armies that he was with. He recognized that there was a certain weapon that was greater than the mighty men that surrounded him. And that weapon was the weapon of counsel. And he knew that if Absalom was counseled properly, the battle would not go well for him. David, the warrior, he wrote, he trains my hands for war and teaches my fingers to do battle. What did he do? His prayer was, Lord, thwart the counsel of Ahitophel. Because he knew that great battles are not often won by weapons, but are often won by the type of counsel you open yourself up to. And when he sent Husha to the city, he didn't say, go and see the dissidents among them. Collect them and then they'll come and fight with us on our side. And it will be very powerful. He said that, Husha, if you come with me, you'll be a burden to me. I have to look after you. Have you eaten in the morning? Have you this? I mean. But if you go back and you listen to what is said and you are able by some counsel to overrule the other counsel, the battle will be on our side. And that's exactly what we shall went to do. And Absalom, the Bible says that when any man inquired of him, it was as if they had heard from God. Some counsel can be so powerful, so anointed, so Holy Ghost filled, it is the voice of God. <laughs> and when Absalom said, uh, Ahitophel told Absalom, go to the rooftop and sleep with all your father's women. Then all Israel will say, mm, this is really terrible. And then they will see that you and your father are really not going to get along at all. Then they will side with you. Do you know that when the prophet Nathan, I believe, came to tell David, that he had sinned with Bathsheba and all that. He said that 
you too, somebody would take the woman from you. And what you did in secret, it would be done in the open. It was God's prophecy and curse. Ahitophel was not there, but he was able to speak it, that if you do this, this is what will happen. We are not talking about whether the council was right or wrong. We are talking about the power of that council to make David win a battle. David was weeping as he was going. The Bible says that he walked bare feet. He didn't have any shoes on his feet. He covered his head. He was just crossing the river. He knew that the odds were against him. But Ahitophel's counsel being overruled changed the outcome of the battle. So Hushak, Ahitophel counsel, and then Absalom slept with all the people. Stage one. Then stage two was that let me, give me just 12,000 men and let me go and sort David out. You, Absalom, don't come. And Husha, who had been planted as a mole to thwart the counsel of... You see, all that David kept saying, counsel, advice, counsel, advice. He wasn't talking about weapons. What Absalom do? What are you talking about? The counsel, the counsel, the counsel. That's what I'm after, the counsel. If they get the right counsel, it's not going to work. So what I'm really looking for is the counsel, the counsel, the counsel, the advice, the direction in which they are going to go. That is my problem. And when Husha came, Husha too knew the power of counsel. He said, that me... I'm also coming to change Ahitophel's counsel. Ahitophel, when he speaks, it's like God. And he didn't say that, oh, what Ahitophel is saying is not true. No, no, no. You see, people who are sly, they agree and disagree. He said, this time, the counsel of Ahitophel will not work. It means it often works, but this time, I don't really think so. So he didn't come from a negative. Don't do it. And so wives, learn from it. Praise before you criticize. Amen. This time, the counsel of Ahitophel will not work because this and that and that and that. And Absalom bought into it. And Ahitophel, being the man that he was, he was somebody who could read the mind of God. He was somebody who could see the future. So he knew that it was over. How many of you will commit suicide because of counsel? Many of you say, let's see the outcome. Let them go to bed. Let's see whether what Husha said will work. Let's see who was better, whether Ahitophel or Husha. But Ahitophel, as soon as he heard the advice, he said, just based on the type of counsel, the battle is over. He went to his house, which was outside Jerusalem, saddled his donkey, set his house in order, like anybody who knows he's dying of a terminal disease does. When we know our time is short, often we try to set our house. And if you don't, then please do, especially women who don't make wills. If you don't have anything, you at least have a bank account. Please, will it before you die. Amen, ladies. That was a digression, but it's necessary. But he set his house in order, and then he hanged himself. How many of us, because of somebody's counsel, We'll go and take ourselves through so much. Saddle our horse, set our house in order. This, okay, you, here, this is for the children. This is for their future. This is for this. This is for this. He did all that. And then after that, he hanged himself. Because from the council, he knew that David was going to be back in town. From the council, he knew that the battle was not going to be won. 
and that Absalom wouldn't make it. And can you believe when Absalom went to the battle? That was when he was riding on a horse and his hair was caught in the thicket and he died. Ahitophel said, don't go. Give me 12,000 men. Let me sort them out. Husha said, go personally. Go personally so that, you know, when your father sees you, then the people's hands will be with you. And when he took the counsel of Husha, he lost the battle. How many battles are you losing because of a type of counsel you walk in? How many battles could you have won if you had walked in the right kind of counsel? How many battles would turn out a different way just because you yield, you bend? You know, they say of trees, if a tree doesn't bend with the wind, it breaks. When you bend with the wind, the wind will go, you go down and when the wind is over, you stand again. Because you are malleable in the hands of God, in the light of his word. You are somebody that the Holy Spirit can work on. of good counsel. Even physical battles, they are fighting with good counsel. Physical battles between soldiers, they are fighting with good counsel. How come you? You don't want anybody to even know your matter before even we will tell you what to do. And we tell you what to do not because we know everything, but because God knows everything. And God's word is powerful. Amen. Now, I want us to look at other people who counseled other people, okay? Esther chapter 5, verse 14. Esther chapter 5, verse 14. Some people counseled somebody there. The book of Esther. I'm there. Are you there? Esther is just before Job, okay? Esther chapter 5, verse 14. Let's read from verse 12. Haman also said, Even Esther the queen, let no one but me come with the king to the banquet which he had prepared. And tomorrow also... I am invited by her with the king. Yet all of this does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows fifty cubits high made, and in the morning ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. And the advice... What does King James say? And the thing. And the ASB says, and the advice pleased Haman. So he had the gallows made. Hallelujah. And then come to Esther chapter 7. Verse 9. Context question. Let's read from 8. The verse before. Now, when the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, will he even assault the queen with me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. 
Then Habona, one of the eunuchs who were before the king, said, Behold, indeed, the gallows standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on behalf of the king. And the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows, which he had prepared for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. Haman was sharing his problem with his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends, the Bible says. He said that, look, I've been promoted. I have so much influence before the king. I'm very powerful, but I'm still not satisfied when I see this uh, uh, Mordecai. Some of us, when we stand around great people, that's how we are. We have everything, but we are still not satisfied. When we see somebody else, it disturbs us. So he came to tell them, and instead of them saying, see what God has blessed you with, and forget about Mordecai, they said, oh, make 50 cubits high something. And then prepare it for Mordecai. He'll be hanged on it. The Bible says, and the advice pleased him. Often, the things that accentuate our weaknesses or our evil desires. We like it. The type of advice that leads us where we already want to go. You understand? You already don't like Mordecai. You already wish he was not living. When you see him, you can't live anymore in spite of all your blessings. So you want to do something. Then the person who comes to advise you says, let me take you further. Apart from just being dissatisfied, let's make gallows to hang him. And the saying pleases you because it tickles your fancy, it appeals to your flesh, and it appeals to your evil desires. So you flow with it. So the advice will please you. Watch out the kind of advice that pleases you. And ask yourself, why am I so pleased with this advice? When they say, what? Just Pack your things and leave him. Let him know where power lies. You like it because one foot is already out of the door. You see, many years ago, when Mrs. Daka Williams wrote a book, after she, she first got divorced from her husband, and after that she wrote a book, Reflections of My Life. And in that book, it was a little book. I went for that uh, launching of that book. And I bought a copy. And in that book, she said that when she wanted to leave her husband, many people said no. But those close to her would call her in secret and say, yes, I think you should go. I think you've had enough. I think it's not easy. When I hear your story, I know that it's not easy. I think that you should leave. And she said, some of them in the book, Some of them even went ahead to tell her what to claim if the suit goes through, what you should ask for, what you should claim, what you should, whatever. So she took that advice and she walked out. You see, sometimes when you measure things by the pain you are going through, you will take the wrong turn. When you measure by how heartbroken you are, you will take the wrong turn. When you measure by how sad you feel, you will take the wrong turn. You see, so she walked out. Then, when she went to her flat or whatever in America, she realized that, ah, 
But all these people who advise me, I don't hear from them anymore. I am alone here. I look at just my bed, my ceiling, my room. And I wonder where they are. And in the book, she said that her husband would call her. You know, our son has temperature. It's rising at this level. So you must come and you must. That was what propelled her to go and see her son. And as soon as she got there, sat down, put the child on her lap, the temperature just dropped. And the Lord spoke to her and said that all those your advices, since you left, have they walked you through this process? Do you hear from them? And she had to answer the question, no. So where are they? They are not here. I thought you said they loved you. I thought so, Lord. How come you are where you are standing? Because of advice. And so when she saw that her son's temperature, she decided that I'll go back. Because my husband is pleading for me. I'm not hearing at all, but this experience has taught me that the people who advised me, they are not there to walk me through it. So it's time to make a roundabout turn and go. The type of counsel that we receive can sometimes make us take decisions that we may not be able to reverse anymore. And what Satan is after is not that, oh, you should just leave or you should just whatever. It's actually to create a certain situation. And to affect things at a certain level. It's not about you and your marriage. It's higher than that. It's higher than that. But he needs you and I, our cooperation. For us to flow. And when you look at your pain, your discomfort like Haman. And then people lead you. You now, you want to go to Tashish. And then you get there, the trotter is also going to Tash. You board it fully. You will get on it fully. You will pay the fare. Even when they say, you just came. So get down. He said, no, then this one should get down. I'd rather give him money because and the wind has come to blow you in that direction. Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends. Majority does not always mean the council is good. All, every single one of Sometimes your friends just want to tell you something that will not make them uncomfortable. So they just tell you, do this, do that, do that. And you go and do it. Not knowing that. That gallows that you were building. You were going to be hanged on it. And if it's 50 cubits high. Then when you are hung up there. And later they cut the rope. Your fall will be greater. But you didn't. This is a great lesson. That whatever you are digging. You are digging for yourself. When the king wanted to bless Mordecai. He said what shall be made for a man. Who has honored the king? And again, Haman thought it was him. So he said, that, oh, they should get him a horse that the king himself sits on. They should give him a ring. They should give him robes that the king has worn. Because he thought it was for him, he opened his heart full scale. And then when he finished, the king said, oh, then do that for Bodhikaya. And he didn't learn from that. He went again and made 50 cubits high gallows. Thinking that it's Mordecai who will be hanged on it. And we as women, we do that so much to gain unnecessary favors. We are stepping on people. We are whatever. Not knowing that the gallows that we are building are for our own hanging in the future. Oh, that we will see a bit far. 
that the Lord will grant us the scales on our eyes to fall. So when the king got angry and said that, look, how he's behaving with the queen. There's then somebody there called Habona. Said that, oh, actually, if you want to punish him, he has already made some gallows. He has already prepared something for somebody else. He can be hanged on it. Do you think that if Haman knew, he will even make the gallows in the first place? If you know that you are the one going to hang on it, you will not construct it. But you don't know. That's what the Bible says. I love your neighbor as yourself. Things that you don't want to be said about you. Don't say that about your neighbor. When somebody's issue comes up, you destroy the person completely. Do you know the second missionary's wife who changed? I was telling my husband, I said, you know, people do change. The only thing they need is the latitude to change. Because if she had just been dismissed, come now, you are some way wife, you are this, you are that, perhaps she would have gotten worse. But staying there and God himself reaching him in his own time. Today she's an evangelist to other missionary wives. Telling them that they should go. So you too, when you have the opportunity to say something or give a direction about somebody else's life, always think, if it were me, what type of mercy would I have required? If it were me, what type of understanding would I have required? If it were me, what type of love would I have asked for? And because of that, I would not make the 50 cubits gallows because I would not like to be hanged on it. And therefore... I should not seek for my friend to be harshed. And do not become also a Zeresh as a wife. Amen. Amen. You know, wives are very good people. Often they are lambasted, but they've done a lot of good things too. And I think that pastor's wife should be celebrated. Amen. You know, I think that heaven will reveal the sacrifices, the things that you have to give up. So that other people's lives will go on. Only God knows. And I think that God in his own good time will honor us for it. Amen. But if you are like Zeresh, you just, some people just want to please their husband. So everything their husband says, whether it's bad or not, anything to make him comfortable, like Jezebel. The vineyard is not for your husband. You say, why are you sad? Why is your country? I'll get it for you. Zeresh, because you know that Mordecai, Haman wants it. Say, oh, Make a gallows and then kill the person. Because you don't want conflict for what you stand for. But sometimes in standing for what is right, there may be conflict in the home. Because you put your foot down that God's will must be done. Billy Graham, many times he's going to run away to become president of America. Go and read his life story. And once his wife kicked him under the table. That is not what God has called you to do. As a boy said, he's going to be an envoy to the Middle East. And the wife said, look at how you have cheapened yourself. You are going to accept to go and be an envoy for America in the Middle East so that you won't preach again. How low can you get? He was bored. He himself wrote it. On about five occasions, Ruth Graham has to step in that God called you to preach, not to go and be a semi-president. <laughs> the trappings of power. But some of us are, I'd like to be first lady of America. So try and bid so that we'll see how. I'd like to be this, so try and... But her advice made Billy Graham who he is today. Good counsel. Good counsel. 
It can change a life and change ministries. How many souls would have gone to hell if he had become an envoy to the Middle East? In the White House, they invite them to dinner and things. And you'll be accepting all sorts of uh, posts and invitations. Original fans. <laughs> then Ruth Graham will face him. You should read it. When she kicked him, and ouch, but he can't say that. Because the answer he was giving was not right at the dinner with President Roosevelt or one of those people. And she knows that she can't, you know, reach him and say, and sometimes even when you are making your face, that it's like he has not seen. So you have to kick him under the table. By good counsel, make war. She made war with Graham with good counsel. And today she has passed on to eternity. And when they were very old, the husband was interviewed. He was doing his last crusade in America, in New York. So what is your one wish? So that my one wish will be that Ruth and I will hold our hands and enter heaven together. So many people give me the credit, but I know that I owe so much to Ruth. Can I take it also said that? People say, oh, I've raised my children well. They are in the ministry. And people give me all the credit, but I know that it's not me. If you have the opportunity to be in a place like Ruth Graham, you will just decide on what I'll get, the car I'll sit in, the clothes I'll get, the comfort I'll have, that this, and then you decide in the flesh. You will walk holy in the flesh. And you may even like to please the president who has invited you. So you say, oh, President Carter, yes, try and take him. He'll work. It will be very good. Billy, I think you can do it. I'm going to help you with your correspondence and all that. Go for it, Billy. Because <laughs> you are looking at your, your status, your salary. Because when you are in the ministry, it's not always like that. When I read his life story, I was surprised that people had faced this. That's why he's going to preach somewhere. They said, we don't want such an imposter in our midst. Because by the time he has developed, he's a respectable evangelist. But it was not like that. Amen. And one thing also... When I read her life story by her children, her children write some of the chapters. They said that mommy would have, what, would have been healthier if she had learned to kick a few shins of the church members. Do you understand it? <laughs> she was too lenient with the church members and the evangelistic team. So if she had faced them a bit, it would have been better for her. That's what the children are saying. But God is the rewarder. What type of counselor are you? Are you a Zeresh? Do you decide based only on how you feel? Do you decide based only on the comforts of this life? When we can't see you and we can't hear, what do you say? What you say is what you are used, what is used to hang you. So take it. Amen. First Kings 12 verse 7. Don't worry, we'll go on break soon. First Kings 12 verse 7. 
Let's read from verse 6. 1 Kings 12, verse 6. Solomon is dead. Rehoboam is king. Verse 6, And King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, How do you counsel me to answer this people? Then they spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant to these people today, who serve them, grant them their petition, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he did what? He forsook the counsel of the elders which they had given him, and consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. Verse 13. And the king answered the people harshly, for he forsook the advice of the elders which they had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I would discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of events from the Lord, that he might establish his word which the Lord spoke through Ahijah the Shilonite to Jehoboam the son of Nebat. Verse 19, so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. He consulted the elders, a new king. What should I do? He said, if you will serve the people, if you will be a servant to them, if you will speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. Then the young men came and said, no, you have to show them where power lies. Your father chastised them, but as for you, your chastisement should be higher. And the Bible says he forsook the council. How important counsel is. It either establishes a king's kingdom or destroys it. It either brings rebellion to this day or it brings peace to this day. And he listened to ungodly counsel. So my father chastised you with whips. I mean, a new king, you've come. Uh, 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 what is that inauguration address? And then you say that. MPP chastise you with whips. But I shall chastise you with scorpions. I mean, nobody in his right mind speaks like this. You feel that you must use fear and intimidation to rule. And the Bible says it's a servant's heart that establishes the kingdom. It's not rulership, domination. It's not that. But he took that advice. And because of that, Israel was made up of 12 tribes. He lost virtually all. He was king, the king of two. Because of the type of advice he listened to. So even, you see, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. The way you rule, the way you exercise your leadership, the way you walk in the place of influence or whatever that God has given you should be by divine and good counsel. Not ungodly counsel. Some of us, we are so rude you wonder, you know, my mother used to say that some people are so rude, you wonder what other way boy do like they've opened some unseen treasures to you. So because of that, you have become so pompous, so disrespectful, and you behave anyhow. 
Because you have seen something that maybe other people have not seen. And that counsel, you will be king all right. But to hold on to the kingdom and to successfully be in your place will be another issue. When you are a minister, when you are a lady minister, when you are a pastor's wife, you are in a place of influence. And that place of influence is also influenced by the type of counsel you receive. And the type of counsel you receive determines how you sit in that place of influence. And when you sit in that place of influence, anyhow, any counsel that you get, I mean, because you feel that your throne is like the throne of God, of his kingdom, there shall be no end. (laughs) But everything has an end, even good things. Everything has so sit humbly, walk humbly before God. Take heed, take good counsel, because nothing is forever. But you, since you ascended to that throne, even for you to greet us, we should count ourselves lucky. When you come to church, you say the church members have annoyed you, or the pastor has annoyed you, you will squeeze your face throughout the service. Even to approach you to say hello, we can't because I'm dealing with my own problem. Me and some of my problems, why? There will never be a day when you don't have your own problems. You will always have your own problems. You never draw anybody close to you. You never want to invest in anybody. Everything is just about you. And how powerful you are and how, whatever, and how. Dear church members, dear men, for more than for yes, someone's I am not saying you should go and invest all your conversation in church members, but as for love, it's not an optional. The Bible says, Oh, no man, anything but love. It's something you owe. Do you understand? Even there's some way people, God expects you to love them. But this small place of influence that He brought, and sometimes. Some mothers also advise their children. As you have come to this place, you know, all sorts of things. They say, yes, you see, my mother knows what she's seen. That's why she's saying that. So, you know, I really have to take heed. So that's for me, I'll chastise with scorpions. So if you don't mind me, I also not mind you. If you are going, you are going. I am not saying that church members are saints. But I'm saying that do not be overcome with evil. But overcome evil with good. I always say, when the person behaves as if she has not seen you, make her face. Oh, joy! 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 Ah, didn't you see me? How? Oh, the person has to say hello to you. You've won! Amen! Because every time the person behaves as if she has not seen you. You know, they say, uh, me, I'm tired. If she hasn't seen you, she should also pass west. I also pass. But you decide that, no, I'm going to triumph over this evil. So say, oh, Shirley, how is it? But didn't you see me? Oh, Lady Reverend, I saw you, but hey, I was, I was, I was close of fire. I was. By good counsel, make war. Amen.
Daniel counseled Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 4, verse 27. That's why we are doing a, a sword drill, whether you know your Bible. If you are there, say you are there. And those of us who are looking, we are still coming. Okay. Daniel chapter 4. You just look at your table of contents. It doesn't matter. Verse 27. Therefore, O king, may my what? Be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness. And from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. In case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle. And seven periods of time will pass over until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on it whomsoever he wishes. Immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. At the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Amen. What had happened is that Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream about a tree and a tree stamp and all that, and then he shared it with Daniel. And Daniel said, this is what it means, and I'm advising you because of this dream. Break away from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case God prolongs your prosperity. But Nebuchadnezzar did not listen. And then he was led out like an animal. He began to eat grass. Immediately, he began to eat grass like an animal. His hair grew like the feathers of an eagle. He must have been a very unpleasant thing to look upon. What made him end up there? Counsel. And Daniel said, let my counsel be pleasing to you. Because it wasn't pleasant counsel. But you can let it be pleasing. It may not be pleasant, but the, rece- the way you receive it can make it be pleasing to you. And because he didn't receive it with a pleasing attitude, he didn't do anything about it. When Daniel said, oh, Break away from your sins by doing righteousness. 
and your iniquity by showing mercy to the poor. And maybe God will prolong your prosperity. Because he was very prosperous then. He didn't do anything about it. And because of that, he ended up in the forest like an animal. And it was when he raised his eyes and said, God, you are sovereign and you reign. Immediately everything changed. Why do you use your life as an experiment? Seven years. Why do you take your life to the lab? When guinea pigs can be used and mice. Why do you decide that you are going to be the lab specimen of this life? And that after seven years, then you will see that God's word is true. After seven years, then you will receive that counsel. Because Daniel said, let my advice be pleasing. Be pleasing to you. What I'm saying that you should break uh, unrighteousness with righteousness, you should do, it may not be easy, but it is for your good. And because the end result is good, let it be pleasing. But many of us, we are where we are because we didn't listen to the word of God. We didn't take heed to the word. Because many of us, we hear, but we won't do. That's what hearing is easy. The Bible says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. It means that it's easy to be a hearer only. It is in the doing. So he heard the advice, but he never did it. You too, you've heard that. But sometimes advice is not just words. Somebody's life is something God can use to advise you. I have seen churches where the churches have split into two. The husband has taken half and the wife has taken half. I have seen churches where the husband says that the, husband, the wife, she has too many programs. She does not acknowledge me in what she does. She thinks that now she's as anointed as I am. She thinks that this, then it started as a ministry problem, but it becomes a domestic problem. And then before they know, the home is into two. Now, when you see such things, you shouldn't be thinking that, hey, it's them. Hey, I wonder what they, whatever. I wonder that. David said, I passed, Solomon, I passed by somebody's field and it was overgrown. And then I took instruction. When I saw, I saw that the person had folded her arms, his arms and he was sleeping. And I saw that a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms, then will come poverty, on, like an arm drawer. You know? But he didn't say poverty has come over this man because of how he behaved. Somebody's life outcome should speak to you. Somebody's outcome of the type of decision she takes and where it ends her up in. The type of decision he takes and where it ends up in should speak to you. That is why history is important. That is why we have books like God's General, Generals. So that you will read it. And not say that's for me. I'm not like Catherine Kuhlman. I didn't take anybody's husband and I didn't whatever, whatever. How old are you? And what have you been tempted with? You, the temptation has not come your way because God knows that you won't pass at all. You will fail miserably. The temptation has not even come to your door because you, you don't even have to be tempted. You just have to see and then you fall. 
people's lives, even in the Bible, should speak to us. Whenever I hear anything about any ministry, any church, I don't think it's them. I think, Lord, what lesson can I glean from this? What can I also learn? And I tell ladies at meetings and ladies in ministry that no matter how much God lifts you, let your husband always feel that you are honoring him in what you are doing. Because no matter how high a man soars, he still wants to feel that you are his wife. No matter how high a man is, it doesn't mean he will not be intimidated with your little level that you are at. Amen. So since you are going on program, he doesn't know any program. He said, so what's your program this evening? I'm ministering at Ministry Delight. After that, I'm moving here, and then I'm doing this, and then I'm doing... It's not that he doesn't want you to progress, but he can see that you have left him out completely of your life. And every man wants to feel needed and important, even every woman. So when you leave the person and you are just like a tangent doing your thing, the person says, ah, these days she doesn't tell me anything she's doing. One husband was complaining to me, he said, look, my wife, if there's anything to do with ministry, she'll jump at it. She's doing this. She's doing that. She's at the conference with you, lady pastor. Ask her whether she even left one bald egg in the house as she's sitting there. <laughs> when I asked the wife, I said, oh, but he can cook. He can cook. I said, hey, if you behave like this, don't come and sit in this conference again. Because that's not what the conference is about. And the husband told me, he, she has even made me listen to a lot of daughter I can make it messages. And I've seen that that's not what you say there. Hey, poor me. As he's having his problems, he has decided to go and listen to daughter messages to see what you are taught. No wonder sometimes they don't believe in our ministry because you've gone. Uh, every day you come, you say it's powerful, but you have never changed before. You are fighting, fighting, fighting. It's not that you don't have a good cause. You are right and you have a good cause. But the reason why we stop fighting is not always because we don't have a good cause, but because peace is important. So sometimes you lay down your weapons, not because you are not right, but because as you fight and fight and fight, more things are being destroyed. And there's nothing left to fight for anymore. So then we say that, look, hold your peace. Leave it. The Lord will fight for you. And some of you, to let somebody fight for you, you are not used to. All issues must be solved by you. All territory must be taken by you. And pastor, how he behaved like this, and how he did this, and how he did that, and how he did that, you, you don't know. And I said, I know. I know as much as I've been told to know. But I'm saying that laying down your weapons is also a way of winning the person back. It's not sorting out court, prosecution, defense, present your case. Uh, uh, prosecution also defends your, defend your case. Then after all the prosecution that you say, I rest my case. Then members of the jury, have you reached a verdict? Then these members of your jury, the jury are your foolish friends who don't tell you anything good. And of course they've reached a verdict. By yielding. Yielding. Do you think Jesus died because the people were fair? Do you think he died because 
the people judged. Pontius Pilate said, I see no wrong in this man. But because of the people shouting and clamoring, I'll give him up. He said, well, let me just chastise him and let him go. But even in law, when somebody has not done anything, how do you chastise him? Chastisement, maybe, you know, there are different degrees of punishment. Maybe first degree felony. This, so if you say you are chastising, maybe he dis, uh, be, be, misbehaved a bit. Or, but you say you find no fault in him. And yet, you will chastise him and let him go. And the people said, no, we want him to die. Did Jesus die because he was wrong and the people was, were right? Was he crucified, stabbed, spat upon, slapped, given vinegar because his enemies were right? He went through that because God had ordained that he should walk that road and that at the end his purpose would be established. Some of the things that you are going through is not because you are wrong. And it's not because the other person is right. But it's because God knows how to work good out of evil. Amen. Amen. But you are used to right and wrong, justice and injustice, court and jail, this and that. So everything is, I'm right. I have a case. Everybody knows. The evidence is there. That this is there. All the evidence and everything is there. But still, we say, let's go. And let God. Amen. Amen. Daniel gave counsel to Nebuchadnezzar. Pontius Pilate's wife advised him. Matthew chapter 27 verse 19. Matthew 27 verse 19. The weapon of good counsel. Let good counsel fight for you. Amen. Sometimes it's not the women who are yielding, it's the men. I want this. I want that. I want that. You two say, eh, if he wants that, me too, I want. No. The two don't make a right. Amen. Matthew 27, verse 19. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night, I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting. Verse 24. And when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas for them, but after having scourged Jesus, but after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. Amen. Sometimes the counsel comes at the last moment. Just before you plunge yourself into that 
thing that you are being told not to do. And that's what happened to Pontius Pilate. His wife wrote to him and said, please, do not have anything to do with this man. But he didn't listen. She said, he's a righteous man. I had a dream last night. It didn't go well. I don't know this man, but the dream tells me that he's a very special man and a righteous man. So have nothing to do with him. But the multitudes and things were shouting. Not all wives are Zeresh's. Some are Pontius Pilate's wives. <laughs> but where you give advice and it is not received, you have to leave it to God. Because you cannot force a person to do what you say. That is why we are told that we are created in the image of God. Why? Because God does as he wills. And God decides what he wants to do. And God exercises free will. And so you must allow your spouse to also have his free will. That is very difficult because we feel that we have to rescue the person from something very deadly. Do all that you can do. But when he's sitting on the judgment seat and all the multitudes are saying you cannot reach there. You have even sent a note to try and reach out into the crowd to get his attention. And he still goes the way he wants to go. All you can do is to pray. But you cannot force him to do what you want him to do. When the consequences come, you know when Peter got up to preach, he said, Pontius Pilate, who put Jesus to death? In the book of Acts. They didn't say Pontius Pilate and his wife. So we stand before God as individuals. We are supposed to influence people. Do all we can to let them do what is right. But at a certain stage, you can't do much. And it rests with the individual to decide what he or she wants to do. Even your children, you will beat them, counsel them, whatever. At a certain age... You know, like David's, uh, uh, Moses' mother, when she could no longer hide him. There comes a time when there's a no longer. You can no longer do much. You can no longer influence. You can no longer change. You can no longer. You have to leave it to God and to whatever the outcome will be. And what makes it difficult in the context of even marriage is that whatever happens to the person seems to affect you. Do you understand? I said, don't spend the money this way. Don't spend the money this way. And then you counsel and counsel and counsel every day. You see, I know one lady pastor, her husband, he uses all his money to buy books. No food in the household. Books. He just goes to the bookshop and he empties the account and he just buys books. Books, CDs, ministry material, whatever. And the children don't have any food to eat. Rent has not been paid, but he's buying books. So she complained and complained every time. Why do you do that? Why do I, we must change this way. We must there. We must. He wasn't changing. And I said, look, why do women always want a man's cooperation before they do what they should do? I don't understand it. You don't always need your husband's cooperation to do what? She said then that they had a joint account. So when he uses it to buy books, there's nothing. So I told her that for even him, he himself to have food on the table. You have to be wise. So, Lady Pastor, what is that? I said, you have to open an account on the side on your own. 
and you have to put money there. Why? Because if you follow him, even he himself will be homeless. He himself will not have food to eat. So you have to. So then she called me and she told me, it's working. It's working fully. Now the children and I, we eat. He also eats, but he doesn't know where it's from. Then she called again and told me, Lady Pastor, he has discovered the account. He didn't blow a beast. But now he spends this one. Uh, when he gets with her, where is the other banker? <laughs> I told her that now maybe you need to learn how to keep cash on you without having a bank account. Because the person asked, or oh, you need to go to another bank. I think you went to ask that. Is there any account linked to this account? It's the same bank. So they said, yes. Your wife opened. So he didn't blow a beast. He said, hey, so you opened another. She said, yes, to make us eat. They said, okay, fine. Then now he can. When I ordered the books, the money was not enough. Where is the other money you said was? But there are things that you, I think that you don't need the other person's cooperation to do just so that you can save the family and save the day. Like uh, uh, Abigail. She didn't need neighbor, neighbors. Some of us will go and ask neighbor. So the food, can I take some to David? It's a foolish question. You should not even ask it. Because the food in the house, he does not know what's in the house. and He does not regulate it. But you know that to save neighbor, his household and all that, he himself, you need to send food to David. So you organize that food in your own way and take it to uh, uh, David. Amen. And then when you come back, you don't just speak that. I just took food to David. You wait. Because when she got there, he was not sober. He was drunk. But when he was sober, then she told him, at the right time, then you tell the person. Abigail was a woman of good understanding. And when she spoke to David, David said, blessed be thy advice. The advice she gave to David established his kingdom. And we'll come to that. Amen. So you need some Abigailism to know how to function. Sometimes you say, don't do this again. Don't do this again. And the person keeps doing it. You have to ask yourself, what's the way forward? Without being cantankerous, what's the way forward for me? Do you understand? So you need a certain wisdom, like the wisdom of Abigail. And most of you, if the servant had told you that, David came to ask for food, and Abigail said, uh, Nabal said there was no food, insulted him. Meanwhile, David has been very good to you will charge your husband's room. And meanwhile, David's armies will be advancing. You will go and solve problems that you don't need to solve. Hey, neighbor, why did you go and tell David that? Uh, do you know what David does for us? This man has been looking after us throughout the night. And he has been caring for us all this time. Why is it that now he's asking you for food? And you say, neighbor, I don't think that is right. I think you are being very unreasonable. And I think you are being whatever. Why do you talk, talk that will not achieve anything? And David and the armies are progressing. You need to take a decisive decision. What must be done to calm David in this situation? I must send raisins, figs, and food to him to quieten that situation. Then after that, I can have a discussion with neighbor. We waste our time on unnecessary arguments. Unnecessary, you want to make your point. And by the time you finish speaking, David and his armies will be there. David said, I will not live leave anything that pisses against the wall. Nothing. Everything living and breathing, I'll kill it. 
including you, Abigail. Because he wouldn't have known you. You see, but we like verbal, this thing to solve problems. Verbal. And meanwhile, men are not verbal. You are using a lot of language, explanation. He doesn't understand. Let me bring another perspective. You see, the scenario where... The, the, uh, by good advice, make war. Amen. Amen. One lady told me, she told, her friend told, her friend advised her to take a certain decision about her home. And she said, I can't take that decision. Her friend said, do this, this, this. And she said, I cannot take that decision. I don't want to do that. And according to her version, when she said, I don't want to do that, the friend doesn't call her anymore. So I said, oh, but a friend doesn't behave like that. A friend should give you the room to choose what you want after she has counseled you and not insist that you go this way. So not long ago, I was in my house when I had a call. It was a friend. The friend said, well, I hear my friend came to tell you that I said that she should take this action. And then when she said she wouldn't take it, I said, I don't talk to her anymore. She said, Mom, please, that's not how it is. This and I said, okay. I did find it some way that if your counsel is not taken, then the friendship has ended. I think that's too controlling and too manipulative. But if that's not what you, she said, that's not what I said. I gave her the counsel. She didn't take it. I still float. I said, that's how it should be. It shouldn't be that because she didn't take it. Even God, you don't take his advice. But he doesn't take the sunshine from you. He doesn't cut off your oxygen. You don't take his advice, but he's flowing with you. So you too, when your husband doesn't take your advice, don't make second world war. God himself knows how to sort it out. Amen. Because he didn't take your advice. You wouldn't talk to him three weeks and things. You see? Amen. Haman was counseled. Okay, let's look at... um, God also counsels us. Revelation 3 verse 18. I think we'll end on that note. Revelation 3, chapter 3 verse 8. I read it from verse 14. I don't know why. From verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea writes, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy, And have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Verse 18 is a verse we are looking for. I advise you or I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. That you may become rich. And white garments that you may clothe yourself. And that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Amen. Now, God is 
talking about the, the Laodicean church. He tells them, I know your deeds. I know you are neither cold nor hot. You are lukewarm. But from your perspective, things are different. You say that you are rich and you have become wealthy. You have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are poor, wretched, and all that. And he says that, I advise you, buy from me gold refined by fire. White garments that you may clothe yourself. And that the shame of your nakedness. And I salve. So God is advising them what to do. He says that, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. You are not a desirable thing to me. But you say that I'm okay. I'm rich. I have need of nothing. So, we all get to that place where we cannot be reached or we don't see things from other people's perspective. And sometimes we may be poor, wretched, and miserable, but we feel that we are wealthy, we are prosperous, and we are okay. Because perhaps we look only at what we can see, but God looks deeper than that. And then God comes and says, You say this and you say that, but I see you in this way. I counsel you. Rather, buy gold that has been refined by fire and white raiment so that you may cover the shame of your nakedness and it will not be revealed. And then I see that you have a problem with the way you see. So anoint your eyes. I'm going to give you eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you can see clearly. Because because of the way your eyes are, you need a certain anointing, a certain rubbing, a certain ointment before you can see things clearly. The reason why we don't change, the reason why we don't receive godly counsel is because we are blind and we cannot see. And the pathetic thing about our blindness is that we are not aware of it. When you know that you have a condition, half the problem is solved because you will set out to solve it. But when you don't even know that you are not well, then your condition is worse. And so we have to start the cure by showing you that you are not well. And so you'll be telling yourself, everybody does it. Even when I told sister this, she said that if it were her, she would do the same. And even when I told sister that, he said that because all of them are blind people leading the blind. The Bible says, can the blind lead the blind? Would they not both fall into a pit? You will fall into a pit. Amen. But God says, let me anoint your eyes with thyself. I have learned in my few years on this earth to tell myself that I'm, I feel that I am right, but I may be wrong somewhere. In everything. You know, Sata, you feel you are so right. But you may be wrong somewhere that you don't know. So then that invites you to listen to somebody else's opinion and to make changes. But most of the time, we are so postured that God cannot reach us. And he doesn't say, begin to see. He says that anoint your eyes with eye salve. I'm going to give you eye salve so that you anoint your eyes so that you can see. The main reason why you are saying I'm rich, I'm okay, I'm this, there's nothing wrong with me. This situation is not my fault. It's his fault. It's their fault. It's because you are not seeing clearly. But if I anoint your eyes with eye salve, you will see. 
And when you see, you will change. It is a worthwhile prayer topic to pray for. Anoint our eyes with eye salve so that we will see. Because sometimes you see only the other side. And your side, you don't see at all because you argue with yourself. I know why I did that. I can give five reasons for why I do that. I know where I'm coming from. I know what I've experienced. That's why I've come to this situation. I know how to solve it. I know if you hadn't said that, I also would not have said you argue with yourself in your mind. And you justify yourself because you are blind and you cannot see. And God comes to you and says, look, you are saying this and this and this about yourself. You are saying this and this about the situation. But I counsel you. I don't command you. I don't force you. But I counsel you. That you buy eyes out from me and use it to rub your eyes and then you see. There's no problem that is one person's problem. There's no such thing. There's no problem that everything is one person who is at fault. Even if he's 99% wrong, 1% belongs to you. Work on your 1%. And stop busying yourself pointing out the 99% that only the Holy Ghost can change. You work on that 1%. Perhaps God is waiting for just that 1% so that you add the 99 and make it 100 for your sake. The reason why conflicts are not solved is because we don't see. We genuinely don't see. Not that we are bad, but human nature cannot see. Some people say, Lady Pastor, me, I don't like conflict. I'm a peacemaker. Is the way he behaves. That is what invites that kind of reaction from me. A peacemaker is one who maintains peace even in the time of war. A peacemaker is not someone who maintains peace in the time of peace. You have not done anything. Somebody said, I want to show that I'm very patient. So you say, I don't want to be tempted in the city. So I'm going to live in the forest. How will you know that you are patient? If you have not been tempted. I counsel you, buy from me gold tried in the fire. Peter said that our faith, like precious faith, is like gold that has been tried in the fire. Anything that God will give you that is gold will have to be purified and tried before it becomes what it has to be. It is, I, I counsel you, buy from me gold. You know. Gold tried. And it is in the trial part that... I wish I could tell you that when trials come, I say, oh God, just let them flow. Your handmaiden receives them. Hey, we all don't like trials. (laughs) We all don't like difficult things. We all don't like things that make us weep. The Bible says a crushed spirit. Sometimes your spirit is so crushed. Sometimes when you go to prayer, you don't even know what to say. You just... You don't have words. You just... Sometimes you cry like a little child that has been beaten. Ah, 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 broken. Broken. And sometimes in the midst of that cry, God comes, the Holy Ghost goes, love him. Woo. Woo. Do you know the stabs and the arrows and the knives. Talk about somebody who deserves my love, not somebody who does not deserve it. 
Did you hear what he said? Do you know how he treats you? What, what are you saying? And God is saying, I cancel you. Buy gold. Tried with fire. Meanwhile, you say I'm wealthy. I don't need anything. Then he's saying you need gold, but the tried kind. He says you need clothes of righteousness that you may, de- you may cover your nakedness and not be ashamed. You need eyes self that your eyes may be anointed to see. I pray that this afternoon our eyes will be anointed into the issues of our lives. The things that break us. The things that we can't handle. May the Lord anoint our eyes with eyes self to see. And with every temptation, may he provide the way of escape. It may be through the window. It may be through a door that is unlocked. It may be through a broken fence. Something may be the way of escape. But how do we see that way of escape? We need our eyes to be anointed with eyes self. May we make war with good counsel. May we have the grace to decipher between counsel that is of God and that which is not. And may we not yield to counsel that is of the flesh. But may we receive empowerment to yield to counsel that is only of God. May the Lord bless us and anoint our eyes with eyes so that we may not be deceived. In Jesus' name, amen. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.